Good evening, everyone. Welcome to The Authentic Woman. This is your host, Shannon Fisher. Thanks for joining us tonight on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I am uh, excited might not be the, the best word to use about the show that we have tonight. It's, it's something that is it's extremely important, but it's a topic that is it's difficult for a lot of people to think about, and it's difficult for a lot of people to talk about. And that's one of the reasons why it's so important that we do this show. Uh, what we're going to talk about tonight is uh, female genital mutilation. And we don't, a lot of people don't realize that this is a problem in the United States. Uh, an estimated 230,000 women and girls are at risk in the United States for female genital mutilation. And around the, girl, around the world, 8,000 girls are victims of FGM daily. And so that's up to 140 million girls and women worldwide currently living with the consequences of female genital mutilation. And, and this is something that we need to bring out from the shadows because it's, it, it's most prevalent in sub-Saharan Africa. But uh, people, we have a global migration now, and, and people are immigrating everywhere, and uh, they take their, their customs along with them. And so wherever people travel, they pass down from generation to generation regardless of the location. Um, it's illegal in the United States. It has been since 1996, and transporting girls out of the U.S. is now punishable by five years in jail, but the procedure is still it's performed in private, and it has gone really underground. So thankfully, um, we have lots of people who are working to eradicate this, and one of them is my guest tonight, and we're very, very lucky to have her. She's got a lot of information to share with us. Uh, she's got tools to share with us, and she's got hope to share with us. So I know it's a difficult topic uh, to think about and to talk about, but please listen and please share the information that you learn because this is, uh, this is something that must be dealt with on a local, national, and global level. So without further ado, I would like to welcome Angela Peabody. Angela, welcome. Thank you, Shannon. It's a pleasure to be here with you. I'm excited about being a guest on the show. I am. I'm excited to have you here because there's so much information to share, and and this is such a specialized issue that isn't talked about very often. Now, you are the president and founder of the Global Woman Peace Foundation, which is a 501c3 organization, uh, and it was formed to eradicate all gender-based violence, but most specifically female genital mutilation. So tell me what your organization does to help eradicate FGM. Well, um, we know that it's a long road to to eradication or to mm-hmm. elimination, but we are prepared um, to to take that long road, and we've started we started it, and there's no turning back because we've made strides, even though we've made a lot of strides since we started this crusade, but we still have a long way to go. Um, Just yesterday I read a breaking news piece that um, the the president, the outgoing president of Nigeria in West Africa, which is one of the, one of the, um, the, the highest practicing countries in West Africa, um, FGM practicing countries has announced that they are outlawing 
um, FGM in in that country, and and that is huge. That that's a huge victory for us. So, um, what we are doing on this end, meanwhile, is um, we're going to open a center at the end of June, um, on June 27th to be exact, in Washington D.C. Um, we have written a 39-page um, training manual that we will use at the center to help help school counselors, school teachers, school nurses, um, law enforcement. We're going to distribute that manual to as many people, to the community, to, um, to people in the communities, because one thing that we know is you never know who's living next door to you. And even if, if, if the person is an immigrant, we don't want you to think, well, automatically, because that your neighbor is an in, immigrant, that means that person is practicing FGM. However, um, that's how, by reading the training manual that we've written, you will be able to, we will give you some tips on how to detect imminent danger to a girl if she's your next door neighbor or if she is a, a student in your school. Um, those are the things we're doing. And of course, you were, I want to thank you again for being um, a part, a big part of of our first walk to NFGM last year, last November 8th. We already have our um, permit to to walk this year. It's going to become an annual event. We will walk on October 31st. So we want, we are looking forward to either doubling or tripling the numbers of participants from last year. Um, in the walk. Um, what else are we doing? We, I went to Richmond in March, I believe, and spoke with the and addressed um, the state, the Education State Board of Virginia, on FGM and made them aware of the that that it's more than thirty-one thousand girls in Virginia that are living at the risk of, of FGM or living with the consequences of, of FGM, and they were just appalled. And so we got a good reception there. Um, the, the state board, of course, they cannot authorize us to go into the schools and work with the children. However, they will give us recommendation, and they will be willing they are willing to review our training manual and make recommendations to the different um, state school districts, superintendents of the school districts, um, and recommend our training manual if they approve it to um, to go into the schools. So those are the things that we've been hard at work doing since last year's November 8th walk. Um, that we is, have, I'm sorry, we have a that program. is a lot, just a few <laughs> months. Amazing that you've been able to uh, to accomplish all of that and, and raise that kind of awareness. And, and I had read about the uh, outgoing Nigerian president recently outlawing FGM, and I thought, 
wow, this is this is monumental progress. You know, you guys are are making making great progress here in the United States, and the fact that others are are making progress worldwide is it's it's so heartwarming to know that there are people who care about this and who care about changing the cultural norms. So what I found really interesting about Good Luck Jonathan is that he's a lame duck president. And so he knew he didn't have to get reelected, and he, he knew that, that he could do this and he could pass this law and it would not affect his political future because someone else is going to be uh, sworn in as president of Nigeria. And so I'm wondering why you think he had the the nerve to do this and, and was willing to really, you know, go and take the risk to pass this law knowing that it's really going against the cultural norms in Nigeria. Well, Shannon, there there has been so much pressure and, and I feel good that Global Woman Peace Foundation is one of those organizations that is that is that are applying um the pressure on on those practicing countries, especially in West Africa and Nigeria being almost one of the leading countries, um, influential countries in Africa. Um, I think it was a huge move for him to do, and and I applaud him. If I mean, it's it's too bad that he's he's an outgoing president, but I guess he took the advantage of being outgoing to do that without, as you mentioned earlier, without um, risking his political future uh, because he's outgoing. And I I hope that he is setting an example to the rest of the, the nations in Africa that are still stubbornly upholding um, this upholding the practice of FGM. For example, um, the country that I'm originally from, Liberia, we have a woman president. And it is just appalling to, to, to know that she supports FGM, the practice of FGM. She has been in there. In fact, she she is an outgoing, she's also an outgoing president, like, like good luck. And she is, she has not said a word about doing anything um, to outlaw this practice. And I'm glad that in the article, in his speech, when he made it, he really called out those countries that are up Still upholding it in in Africa and Liberia was was one of the countries he called out Sudan and and Mali because um, there is no reason why they should still be carrying on this practice. But I I really applaud the the outgoing president of Nigeria because I think he took a step he took a risk because um, even though he's outgoing and he might not have a political future in Nigeria. However, he still has to live among the people there, and he still needs to 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 have his his life at ease with the with the population. And I think for him to to take that stand and make a decision as such, um, I, I I really have a lot of respect for him, a great deal of respect for him, and I really wish that some of the other presidents 
that are continuing to practice this, allowing it to be practiced in their countries. I hope they will step forward and do something as well. I agree, most definitely. I mean, that took it took so much courage, and it's clearly a human rights issue. I mean, this is there. There's no doubt about it. This is torture, and we'll talk about uh, exactly what happens during this procedure um, in a minute. And this is, I mean, this is it's a human rights issue, and the United Nations has called for an end to it. Ban Ki-moon has uh, supported programs to attempt to eradicate it in Great Britain and all around the world, uh, you know, saying that no woman, no one should fear having a daughter uh, for fear that their daughter will be mutilated. Um, so tell me, um, tell me what it was like growing up in Liberia, and tell me a little bit about why this is something that, that, that is that fits in with that culture there and is so ingrained in it? Well, growing up in Liberia, as a child, you're so innocent. You you don't understand certain things. And at the time when when I grew up in Liberia, such things as circumcision, um, even with male circumcision, my brothers were all circumcised, but we didn't talk about it. It wasn't something that you sat at the dinner table and said, oh, so today um, Austin was circumcised. You know, you don't talk right. about those. You didn't talk about those things, let alone female circumcision. So I was aware of male circumcision because it's something that, like I said, was done to my brothers, but I had no idea about female circumcision. And I used to see the girls, certain girls, you know, from the villages, they would come out and at certain time of the year and they would be covered with chalk. Their bodies would be covered with chalk, white chalk, and they um and they would they were topless, you know, because they are just starting to develop. They are at that age where they are getting breasts and and it, it's it's exposed, and then they're just wearing a little bikini um, thing, you know, to cover them, and they have a lot of beads on. And I would ask my mother, um, why are they dressed like that as a child? And she would just say, oh, it's it's they just came out of the bush, you know. So, and that's all I knew. I grew up knowing that when the girls come out of the bush, something called the gribble bush, G-R-E-B-O, um, the gribble bush, is, it's a cultural thing, and that's why they were dressed like that until I, I was about eight years old, and a girl that I played with... Um, just disappeared. I didn't know where she was, where she went. Um, she didn't come to play with us anymore, and none of us knew why or where she had gone. And then it was two years, about two years later, when we are all two years older, she reappeared. And oh, but she was different. She was withdrawn. She didn't. She was not the same little girl, happy-go-lucky, playing and, you know, the way we did with paper dolls and dolls and um, playing with our um, 
you know, animals, our dogs, and she wasn't she wasn't that way. She was she was never the same. And um, of course, she's now she grew up to be a woman, but she's now deceased. And I, she wouldn't tell us where she had gone or what had happened to her. She would not tell us. It was a secret. And my mother wouldn't tell me anything. She just said, oh, she went to the grape bush. You know, so here again, this grape bush popped up again, yes. And, uh, but she was not dressed in the, with the chalk and all. So it, it was, it, it was later as I got older as a teenager, and I mean an older teenager, that I discovered what had really happened to her. It, she, she had gone into the graber bush or was taken into the graber bush and, and, F, and female genital mutilation, they had circumcised her. Um, and there were rumors on the playground, you know, where we played. Some, some of my friends said, oh, you know, they take the girls in the village, they take them to the, to the bush and, and they cut off their private parts and they cook it and give it to them to eat. Well, that just sounded so disgusting to me. And, and you know, just as much as my child mind could digest. And sure. so I didn't think much of it, but it stayed with me. And if you read my book my my novel that i wrote the a, a a liberian survivor fgm survivor read it and she told me after she read the book she said you didn't leave anything out of the book except for one thing and then i told her what i had heard when i was a child that they cooked it and gave it to them to eat and and I said, I left that out because I couldn't confirm it. I, I couldn't mm-hmm. find anybody to confirm it, and I didn't want to put it in there. And she did not come out and tell me that it was true, but she alluded to the fact that they do give them something to eat while they are there, feed them something that it's unidentifiable. Wow. And, and yes, and it, I, I know that it's dinner time and it's it's disgusting, but they do. Um, it's part of the whole ritual that that they they cook it and give it to them to eat and feed it to them. And as they are feeding it to them, they are telling them they are swearing them to secrecy and telling them if you tell anyone. What happened to you here? You will die. Well, you and I both know if you tell a seven-year-old or six-year-old that she will die if she divulges something, she will keep it a secret. It's it's just like the um, the child molesters when they tell them it's our little secret. Don't tell anyone. So it's the same thing. It's, they're telling them, don't tell anyone, otherwise you will die. And you right. have 50-year-old women um, and 49-year-old women who, 
some of them take it to their graves with them. And if they live long enough to be 80 years old, they, they never tell anyone and they die with that. They have to live with not only the physical burden of the, the physical pain, um, but also that psychological and emotional burden of not telling anyone, but living with that within themselves and, and, and the psychological pain that goes with it for many, many years. That is horrible. And, I mean, this is really, you know, you talk about sexual abuse. This is the most violent and cruel form of, of sexual abuse I've ever heard of. It's, it's performed with a, a razor blade and without anesthesia in a – tell me, tell me a little bit about the actual procedure itself and what these girls go through. It's performed in a non far from a clinical environment. Um, it's in the bush, and just like we they call it the grape of bush, it in Liberia and in Sierra Leone, they have um, a society, a secret society called the Sende Society, and um, we did our, our newsletter. We published something in our newsletter, I think, a week ago or two weeks ago about the Sunday Society in Liberia. Um, they they are the ones that that execute this FGM. They they are the ones that practice it, and and they take the girls into the Griba Bush. So the Griba Bush belongs to the Sunday Society. And it's a okay. women's society. It's almost, I, I always compare it to um, the Western sorority or the Western Masonic craft or whatever. But it, 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 it's not even, it doesn't do justice to the, um, to the sororities for me to even compare it to that because it's very vicious. But the Sunday society has all these good things that they do with the girls when the girls go into the bush. It's almost like um, a, a rite of passage to womanhood that they are teaching them. It, it's, it's, it could be compared to a finishing school without FGM. They teach them how to make baskets. They teach them how to be, um, how to be young ladies and how to be good wives and, and, and good mothers and how to uphold their lives in, in, during adulthood, but all of that is great, and I would support it. But why include circumcision in it? Why include FGM in it? And and that is the one thing about the Sunday society that I oppose, um, and it's the the practice of FGM. But that's so they, they get the girls in the bush, in the grape bush, at a certain age, and they keep them there. That's why they stay in there for about two years. They are developing as they, they are developing, and they are teaching them and preparing them to be wives. And they, they perform FGM on them right on a rock on the ground, on the bare ground, on a rock, and there's blood everywhere. Um, they use unsterilized in, um, instruments. It could be a, a sword or a razor blade. It could be um, a knife, you know, um, 
anything, anything that some of them man make the um, the instruments, but they do not sterilize them, and they don't sterilize them between um, between girls. They use the same blood stained. They just wipe it on on the apron. The exciser wipes it on her apron between girls, and and. One of the survivors told me once that she watched the woman, she watched the exciser spit on the on the blade and wipe it on her apron after she had finished with um, with the girl before her. Uh, so those are the practices, those are the things that they do, and then nothing is, there's no anesthesia, obviously, because this is done in in the bush so they don't have any anesthesia so the girls feel the pain um one survivor told me how she felt the blade just sawing her flesh and how she passed out um several times she came through and she kept blacking out over and over until it was all done and then and in some cultures, in in the Liberian culture, they don't do the stitching. They cut, but they don't do the stitching. But in a lot of cultures, um, such as Egypt, Kenya, um, the Gambia, and Burkina Faso, and places like that, they do the stitching, where after they cut the clitoris, they cut the labia, um, the labia minora and the labia majora, which they call the, 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 the lips of the mm-hmm. vagina. Whatever skin is left there, they pull it together and, 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 and stitch it up with a rope. And, and, and it's not the kind of stitching that is done in clinical environment after surgery, but this is this a straw-like rope that they take and stitch up the girl's um, what is left of her vagina, and and they leave a very tiny opening to accommodate urination. Um, I mean, a very, very, very tiny opening. <laughs> That makes me want to cry, just thinking about these girls going through that, not knowing that it's going to happen, no anesthesia, the the chance of infection. And so what is, there's clearly no medical purpose for doing this. So what do they say is their purpose for performing this procedure? They hide behind tradition, culture. That is that's that's the big reason they will give this. They they will tell you, and they could give you so many reasons. Um, I've heard, oh, the clitoris and the labia are male parts that the girl is born with, so it needs to be removed. Sedu, who who told you that those are male parts? If they were male parts, why aren't they on the male? Why are they on the female? And um, or they will tell you that the girl is not marriageable if she is not cut, which is not true. I watched a documentary with um, a man from Kurdistan, he um, in Iraq, 
and mm-hmm. they practice it there. And he said, he described his wife and said, my wife is like, sleeping with my wife is like lying next to a dead chicken. That's how he described his wife. And wow. and and he said, because she has no feelings, she has no stimulation, nothing. Um, so this man married her because I guess it was arranged and it's it's the culture. And she, when they interviewed her on the documentary, she said she had no idea that she would be expected to have sexual intercourse with her husband when she was married because she thought that she was just being a wife. She would just have to take care of the house and clean and cook and and take care of the children. And my question was, well, how would those children come if you don't have sexual intercourse with um, with the husband? So clearly, she there was no preparation with this woman to 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 prepare her for marriage. She she was totally confused. She didn't know, and and here they were stuck together, the husband and wife. But because she had no interest in sex whatsoever, and the husband was not happy with that. So um, it's not always where men are supportive of this thing, where people, a lot of people think that the men are very supportive of it. Yes, some men are. And there are some men in villages that will not marry a woman if she hasn't been cut. But then there are some men who don't want a woman if she's been caught. Sure. So, I mean, it's, it's surprising. I hadn't even thought of the fact that, that it would then uh, potentially remove all all feeling and, and remove the woman's ability to enjoy sex. And, and, and I think that, I mean, a lot of times a lot of cultures vilify women's sexuality as it is, and, you know, women aren't supposed to enjoy sex. And um, and so I, maybe that has something to do with the root of it. But when when they sew these women up, how do they even have sex if they're sewn together? Well, they, they sew them. They, they stitch them up when they're seven, five. Um, they even do it at infancy at times. Uh, so they stitch them up at that age, and those stitches remain there in place until they are ready to get married. Mm-hmm. And when they are ready to get married, either two, one of two things will need to happen. Um, either they will cut her again <laughs> to take her through, to 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 you know cut her to open her up. For marriage, either that or they just leave it to the husband to take care of. And he's, I've, and and I will need to get a little vivid here because it, it's we need to talk about this, and it, it's no way to sugarcoat it. Otherwise, it loses the effect of it. But I've had a young lady tell me that. Her wedding night was one night of 
one nightmare of rape after rape after rape after rape. It, she was only 11 years old when she got married. She was nine years old when she was caught. And they stitched her up. She was from the culture where they stitched her up. And, and, and so they didn't cut her to prepare her for marriage. And they married her off two years after cutting at 11 years old to a 60-year-old man. And oh, I told wow. her, if your husband had been here in America, he would be behind bars. He mm-hmm. would not be sitting there in the village like a king and your husband. And he just raped her. I, and I, I, we're, I'm calling it rape because, and she's calling it rape now that she lives in, in the Western world, because that's what it was. An 11-year-old girl is not old enough to consent to sex and with a 60-year-old man. So naturally, he was forcing his way in and 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 he um and he just it was just abusing abusive to her it it was just abusive to her i i just cannot imagine the pain that she must have endured at 11 years old and the trauma and nightmare um so these are some of the things that happen yeah and this is and so so talking about the United States, so people emigrate, you know, all throughout the world, all throughout the Western world, to, to Europe, to North America, to South America. Um, when they leave the village environment and when they leave the culture behind uh, that comes to expect this kind of barbaric abuse, why does it then continue with future generations in other countries. Tell me a little bit about that. Because of the culture, they have it has been embedded in their minds that my great-grandmother, it was done to your great-grandmother, it was done to your grandmother, it was done to your mother, so it needs to be done to you. And 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 or it was done to you, therefore your daughter, it must be done to your daughter even though um, that daughter might be born either in Europe, in a country in Europe, or in the United States. Um, but they still feel that they should carry on that cultural tradition. And as an immigrant myself, I, I was talking with um, with an Ethiopian young lady on Friday. We, um, She's going to be an intern with um, with Global Woman Peace, and we were talking about the culture, and I said, think, think about, she said, I'm just shocked that it's happening here in, in the United States, and I said, well, think about us as immigrants. We came to this country, um, and we brought with us clothing, the, the traditional clothing. We brought our music with us our dances, um, and the food. And every Saturday, I still eat the traditional food, the the traditional meal. My sons now who have their own homes, they do the same. Mm -hmm. So if we we bring all of those 
traditions with us, those cultural traditions with us. We go to the parties, we play the music, we dance to the, we dance to the music, we eat the food, we wear the clothes, all of that. Why wouldn't an immigrant who comes from an FGM practicing society and it's been in her family, why wouldn't she bring that with her as well? And and that's what I had, that had been my contention for years since we started this crusade against FGM in America. I had been trying to convince my colleagues and people it, it has to be done here. I'm sure they're doing it here. And those were the examples I always made about the food and the clothing and the dance. And I said, it makes sense. So right. last year when the breaking news came out and said, oh, it's being done here on U.S. soil. I I was not surprised at all. Everybody else was surprised, and I wasn't. I said I knew it had to be because they, if they can do it and get away with it, and gone are the days when immigrants came to the United States um, poverty-stricken or um, so indigent, that they couldn't afford to live in certain neighborhoods. Gone are those days. Immigrants come here now with money, and they can purchase a home in any neighborhood they want to, and they can be practicing FGM in their basement. As long as you don't hear the girls screaming, you will never know, and they're right next door to you. So That is staggering. That's why we want people to know we have to. It, it's so imperative that we educate the American public on this. And we feel that going into the schools and and because keep in mind, these little girls that are at risk um, of, of FGM being done to them, they have no idea. Their parents do not prepare them. They don't tell them, oh, by the way, we're going to, this summer coming, we're going to, you're of age now, so we're going to take you um, overseas and we're going to have this done to you. They don't tell them, but they tell them, they take them under pretense, under false pretense. Oh, um, this summer we're going to take you to see your, to visit your grandparents or your grandmother and so you can learn about the culture. And you tell a seven-year-old she's so excited to go. She's never been back to Africa um, or Southeast Asia or the Middle East where she comes from. She's never been back there. So she's excited to go for the first time and meet her host of cousins and relatives and aunts and grandparents. And she gets there and everything is shattered for her because yeah. that's the first thing they do. They take her to into the bush and have this done to her. And her whole life is just shattered. Just imagine a seven-year-old. Well, sure. I mean, it shatters the trust of your parents who have taken you there to have this done without telling you, without your permission. It, it shatters your trust of strangers. It, it would shatter your ability, I would imagine, to ever enjoy or feel safe in a sexual situation. Um, yes. And then the physical the physical pain and agony that, 
a lot of women, I mean, have complications from this for, for the rest of their lives. Now, so yes. you are opening, you're opening the Global Woman Center, and a, yes. a lot of what you're doing, as you said, is educating people in the community and, and trying to let people know, you know, there are 230,000 uh, women and girls in the United States at risk for female genital mutilation every year. So in what fact, is that, it that, you're... That figure has been upgraded tremendously since really? last year. It's it's been upgraded to five hundred and twelve thousand girls. Oh, wow! In the United States, wow, that's half a half a million girls. That that it's it's so hard to fathom that that is happening. And so, how are you? How are you training these teachers? How are you training law enforcement? And uh, I wonder about gynecological care. Are the doctors in the United States trained to deal with women who have had this done to them? I'm so glad you you asked about the doctors because we um, that's another part of what we another part of the program for the center. Um, first of all, to answer your question about the the law enforcement, we are we are approaching um, all of the special. First of all, we have identified the states in the U.S. because it's not every state in the U.S. that has girls at risk that are at risk, and there are certain states we've identified them. Um, that have the most girls at risk of FGM. Um, they are California, Texas, Minnesota, Washington State, New Jersey, New York, Virginia, Maryland. Um, am I leaving any out? I think those are the states. Those are the ones that we have identified and we are targeting. So we are contacting all of the special victims units or special victims bureaus of the police departments of the, in those states. And we are, of course, Washington, D.C., which is the metro area, Maryland, Virginia, and D.C., um, is our pilot. That's our pilot program with the center. But the plan, the plan is to open a center with the success of the center in this area, in this metro area. We will open a center in every one of those states that I just um, named and so that we will be able to service these girls. And, and so we are contacting um, and par going to partner with these special victims, bureaus and units in the police departments. We're going to distribute our um, training manual to them and tr so that they can read it tr and train with us. They can come to the center if they feel um, that they need to come to the center, and we will have workshops and we will have webinars, hold webinars so that they can fully understand what's in the manual and what to look for when 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 they are called in because they law enforcement will be the last phase of it. We will train the school teachers, the school nurses and counselors. And the reason why we're talking about the schools is because that's where the girls are. 
Um, They are in the schools. And when the nurses started to notice that there were so many of these girls born of immigrant parents that were coming back after the summer and they were they couldn't even sit in in their seats comfortably they were in pain they were making numerous trips to the school nurse's office because and they just thought oh maybe it's her period but then they suspected something wrong because those girls were not old enough to have their period and and but they were complaining about pain and they had infection and that's when they discovered that these girls were going on vacation and coming back and they something had been done to them they noticed the drop in their grades their 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 performance in school was in the class were just affected um so that's when the news broke last year that okay this thing is happening here and it's happening to so many girls and something needs to be done the um the Obama administration appointed well the the Congress US Congress wrote a bipartisan letter to um to the administration and appealed and said we need help this thing is happening here and we need to do something about it um and so they responded by setting up a special committee that represented um Department of Justice, Department of Education, Transportation and Health and Human Services including the White House as well. Um those were the committees we who are working against FGM were invited to go and and address this committee on October 2nd last year and we did that. Um and they have taken some action they've set up a national hotline um where girls can call so in our training manual we are also um providing that national hotline for them to call in addition to our own line that we will have set up at the center but we will invite we want to work we have to work with the parents um uh, because how do you tell the little girls don't trust your parents you know right. we have to train them and tell them what this thing is is and what it's about and if you if your parents start suddenly going to take you to the doctor to get shots a lot of shots because we know that you to get go overseas to go to to um to developing countries you have to have a lot of shots if they are taking you to have a lot of shots done if they are taking you to get your picture done to get a passport please tell your school counselor tell your teacher or call global women peace foundation center we are here to help we are responsible for your safety so america is responsible for your safety so do not keep it a secret and be afraid tell somebody tell your best friend and she, and who is who is born of american parents and she can tell the teacher if you are afraid to do it but 
those are the things that we have in the in the manual for the children to understand that they need to talk if if you see if there's suspicion and then if the, the girls come to the teachers or the counselors and tell them what is going on with them they're taking my pictures they're getting passports it could be all innocent but we have to investigate it so that we're asking the teachers and the counselors we're asking the schools to contact us when that happens invite the parents to the school and bring a representative from global woman peace foundation sent from global woman center to be to sit in on the meeting and we will advise the parents you we understand that you're about to take your daughter overseas to your country of origin we just want you to be aware that this is a criminal act if you take your your child over there to be cut she's a US citizen we have to protect her and when you bring her back and she will be subject to um department of health and human services um examination and if they find that she's been tampered with you face um 5 year of imprisonment and and that's what that that will be the procedure there the first step when that that's just based on suspicion because like i said it might just be innocent but we have to take those steps first to let them know and make them aware just in case they don't know it's a criminal act you will be breaking the law if you do that and you will be subject to when you arrive um homeland security can greet you at the airport and and usher you and your daughter into a room to to be questioned or to go undergo examination so that you know those are the things we going to be telling the 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 parents and then if they still go ahead and do it then they will be arrested because what we've advised them to do will happen it's not we're not just scaring them but i would we would like to have the parents come to our meetings at the center and sit in on the meetings we don't want to antagonize them and we don't want their children to be taken away from them so we will work with the parents we are willing to work with them and and show them the the results the health results the health ramifications of of um to having this done to your child it it's it's no benefit at all it it's only going to hurt her not just at that moment but in the future so that's how the center is going to work with parents with the schools and with law enforcement um law enforcement will be the last resort when we if we see that there is definite danger then we will call in law enforcement and report it and and let them step in and take take it over then sure well it sounds like prevention is is really i mean it's the only way to uh to stop this from happening and 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 the threat of incarceration if that's what it takes that's what it takes but they should be imprisoned for subjecting their child to this especially the the emotional turmoil uh it, 
forget the physical, which is the the most gruesome part of it, but the fact that this little girl will never be able to trust anybody ever again. Uh, that just it absolutely breaks my heart. Now, so when you're when you're telling people, people who are are listening right now, and if, if you're when you're in in the manual and you're training teachers and you're training law enforcement, what can your average American citizen? Uh, what should they keep their eyes out for, and and how can they? What can we individually do to help eradicate female genital mutilation in the United States? Talk about it. So if you know, if you have a neighbor, and you know you have some knowledge of FGM, talk about it to your neighbor, and let that neighbor talk about it to other friends. Talk. I want to see. FGM become the subject, the topic um, around the water cooler, um, at dinner tables, um, in the living room, in the bedroom, um, on planes and trains. Talk about it because it's education that will help to prevent it and and, and stop it. Um, so if you see... We we are going to make our training manual available, and when you read it and and read it closely, you will be able to you will know how you can help um, the community um, because we we want everybody in the community to have it and to read it and see and look for the signs because that you you will be able, we are telling you, we're giving you examples in the manual and giving you the signs that um, that people, that, that they will be doing, the parents or the children, the little girls, if it's already happened to her, um, you will be able to tell. But if you don't, if you don't read the manual and you don't know anything about FGM or never heard of it, and you might think the little girl is just um, something is wrong with her mentally. I mean, you know, you you will right. not be able to 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 identify it. So it's all the identifying um, factors that we are pushing in the manual, and and that is just the preventive. I know we are running out of time, but the um, we also have the rehabilitation side of it, where we we going to we have a program at the center for rehabilitation because the girls and young women who have already gone through it, um, we want to counsel them and and we will be counseling them. We will do one on one counseling first, and then we will have group counseling where they will be able to 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 come out and say and 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 say yes it was done to me i am a survivor of fgm they will not be afraid so that they know they will not die if they tell this and that's what we will be bringing out of them and um we you ask about the doctors we are setting up we're creating a network of obgyns um, in the U.S., who will who who will agree to work with us with our center so that we can actually refer um, our clients, the the young women, to these specific OBGYNs who understand FGM because um, every 
OBGYN in the U.S. doesn't know anything about FGM or or has never seen a, a vagina, a post-FGM vagina. So when they see it, they just they freak out, they panic, they don't know, and and it could be a matter of life or death. So we want these OBGYNs who will sign up with our network to, we want to make sure that these young ladies can go and have their checkups and and, and people will understand them, the doctors will understand um, why their vagina is disfigured, you know, and um, and yeah. then we we also have Dr. Marcy Bowers in San Francisco who has agreed to work with us. She will be coming to speak at the walk in October on October 31st. She is she has um, performed hundreds of restorative surgeries on um, on FGM on survivors of FGM. Uh, and so she will be performing these surgeries on the girls. We will refer to her, and we and the the center will raise money to pay for the girls' surgery. It's seventeen hundred dollars per surgery because Dr. Bowers does it for free, but the hospital bill is seventeen hundred. So we will be um, raising funds so that we can help these young ladies um, get be restored to a normal life. They can have um, their babies normally and have sex normally and um, and have regular normal menstrual periods and what have you. So if people out there want to make a donation to Global Woman Peace Foundation in order to help with these surgeries and help with these efforts, how can they do so? Can they do it through your website? Yes, they can go to our website. It's Global Woman Peace Foundation all run together dot org dot org www dot global woman and that's G L O B A L Woman um singular woman um Peace Foundation P E A C E Foundation dot org. Okay, great. So, and there's there's a lot of information on there. Uh, you, you mentioned earlier that you've written a book, that you wrote a novel about this, and I believe people can can get that through your website as well. Now, what about yeah. this manual that we've been talking about? Um, is that something that's going to be uh, published and made available to the public? Yes, it will be. Um, oh, yes, definitely. We will have it um, electronically on the website where people can go and download it because it's it's free. We want everybody to have it. We will have printed versions of it, um, or you can we you you can call us and we will contact us and we will be happy to send it to you through email. But um, we want to make it available to the public by all means. You are doing some amazing work, and this is, uh, you know, like we said at the top of the show, it's 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 difficult to talk about. It's difficult for a lot of people to think about. I mean, just listening to your description of of what is done to these girls, um, it's just a harrowing account. And to think of the millions of girls and women around the world that have been through this. Um, 
I'm, I, I just absolutely applaud you for all of the efforts you're making to stop it in the United States and to put pressure on, on foreign governments to stop it. Angela, we're running out of time, but thank you so, so much for being here tonight. You have been so informative. Thank you. Thank you, Shannon, for having me. And thanks again to you and um, UniteWomen.org for all that you do for women. We're trying. You know, awareness is the first step in everything, and then if, if everybody who then becomes aware can pitch in and become part of the solution, I think we can we can all make a lot of headway on a lot of issues, and uh, especially this one. So, Angela Peabody, uh, thank you so much. This is Shannon Fisher. The show is The Authentic Woman on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. And I would like to bid you all adieu and uh, say goodnight to Angela. Good night, Angela. Good night, Shannon. Thank you. Thank you so much.